All right. So tonight what we're going to be talking about, our teaching is going to be called Unless the Lord Builds the House. Unless the Lord Builds the House. Now, why is this important? Because we know that we're called the temple of God. We know that they couldn't build a tabernacle even in the Old Testament before God told them that they can build it. And we got examples of people building things that God didn't call them to build only to have them tear it all down. So we know for a fact that unless the Lord builds the house, we labor in vain, okay? And that's what this whole thing is gonna be about because I think as the Lord works with us, as he builds us up, as he shows us the things that we need to, I think it's so important that we recognize what God wants, okay? It's important that we know that when he builds up something, it cannot be torn down. Why? Because he's the great architect. He is the master builder. He built us from the very beginning. And it's just so important that we have an understanding of, of what God does, his wisdom, his knowledge. There are things that we can't go beyond in this. So it's important that we allow the Lord to allow us to gradually be built up by him. Okay, so that's what the subject's gonna be about tonight. Because I think, um, you know, for all of us, we suffer with a lot, man. Sometimes there are things in us, even when we're saved, that, man, you know, you just wonder, why do I still think the way I do sometimes? Why am I still going through this? Why does it seem like the Holy Ghost has control over certain areas in my life? And then there's other things. I'm still the same old person. This is because in many cases, we can jump the gun and not allow the Lord to build us up and to work with us. And when you've got that, you know, you've got man trying to do things by his own knowledge and wisdom only to see it eventually tear down. Well, sometimes we can build things that'll be great ideas for ourselves, but they won't grow. God won't allow them to be productive. Why? Because of the fact that he didn't build it. If he told Adam and Eve after building them and making them perfect in his image, you know, and he tells them to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And we don't, you know, if he could tell them to do that, it's because he built them that they would have the capacity for doing these things. But if we're not built up by God, you know, let's just get into the lesson. But I just want to make this point that unless God builds it, we labor in vain. And that's what this whole thing is about. So let's pray real quick and then we'll get right in. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord, for this word, Lord. We thank you for another day. We thank you, Lord, and ask you to forgive us of our sins and our iniquities and our shortcomings and transgressions and those things that place a veil between you and us. Lord, I'm grateful for this time, Lord, with my sisters and brothers online and those before us, that you've given us yet another day to be partakers of your word, that we may be all edified unto doing the works of God. And we pray and we ask, Lord, that no man's heart be heard today, that no flesh be glorified, but by your spirit, Lord, that edification will be brought and understanding that we might be made whole. And I just pray in Jesus' name that you bind every foul spirit, every demonic spirit, every spirit of error, contention, or confusion, every spirit of jealousy, malice, and hatred, and all spirits of fear, doubt, and unbelief, Lord, we invite your spirit of teaching, which is the Holy Ghost, that you know the eyes of those who can't see will be open, the ears of those who can't hear will be open, that Lord, we may be obedient children and we may finish our course with patience. 
For you are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. You are faithful, just, and true, and worthy of all praises. We pray and we ask that all these things be done for your glory and your honor alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so let's get into um, the study. I want to go to Psalm uh, 127. Let's go to Psalm 127, and we'll start from there. Right, it's a nice short psalm, but it says a whole lot. And Psalm 20, uh, the Psalms is always in the middle of your Bible. Like if you were to cut your Bible in half, you would end up in Psalms or Proverbs. It's one of those places that, yeah. All right. All right, so this is Psalm 127. Let's look at verse one. And it says, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh, but in vain. So this is important that we understand because if, if God builds something, then he's for it. That meant not only is he going to build it so it won't fall, but he's going to protect it so that it won't break. You know, he will glorify it because it's his call or his will and what he wants for them to do. So it says that they labor in vain if, if God didn't build it. And then it says, except the Lord keep the city, the watchman um, waketh, but in vain. Because you know, watchmen were put over cities at that time that when they would see danger come to the city, they would sound the alarm and let people know. A lot of people don't know that this is what ministers are supposed to do today and teachers. They are to sound the alarm and tell people the things that are going on so that God's people can be, you know, they can know and they can prepare and do the things that God wants. So it's always important that a watchman would let people know. But it says if God doesn't keep the city, he says the watchman walketh, um, they waketh in vain. So even if the watchman does wake up, he doesn't have God's knowledge and understanding to be able to continue. So his warning would be, he wouldn't even warn. He'd wake up, see trouble coming and still be blind, okay? And that's why Jesus tells us, if the, if the blind leads the, the blind, both fall into a ditch. So, you know, God wants us to be able to see. So he says in verse two, uh, it is vain for you to rise up early to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for he gave, I mean, for he giveth his beloved sheep. Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. So God wants us to be productive. As we talked about before, he gave Adam and Eve the commandment, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, and subdue it. Do you know God has never taken that away? God still wants us to this day to be fruitful. That's why Jesus referred to us as trees, and he said to multiply and replenish the earth. So these things are so important. And then he says in verse four, as arrows are in the land of the mighty, of the mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. 
So, you know, this is talking about God's people being alert, God's people having an understanding, God's people recognizing that without God, that we can do absolutely nothing. Okay, so I just wanted to begin there and let's get right into the study. I wanna go to Isaiah 49, which is right next door. And let's look at verse one. Isaiah 49 and verse one. Does anyone have any questions so far? Or everybody understands anything they want to add at all? Or? Uh, you know, I'm just going to say openly, I'm assuming that's right now because you're speaking to me. Um, this, I was supposed to be here today, I guess, because this is the message I need to hear. No, absolutely. So, I'm sorry, I'm really emotional, but I've been searching for some answers. Mm -hmm. And you're telling me. No, praise the Lord. Exactly. Well, that's what this whole thing is about. You know, God is good. And give her water too, guys, if you want. Are you you okay with that? Or do you want water? Actually, can I get some water too? Yeah. No, absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. You know, and that's one thing about the Lord that He does with us in our lives is He pinpoints the things that may be against Him or things that we need to learn. And sometimes these things seem a little, little painful for us, but then there comes a place where he, he needs to get inside of that wound that he can actually, you know, clean us out. And, you know, cleaning a cut hurts, you know, at times, but then there comes a point that when he gets through with that, then he builds you up and now you can begin to heal. We can't heal always in the ways that we want to if we don't allow God to get inside. And there, although there are some things we don't want to remember and that we don't want to deal with, God intends to take those things away, but he first has to get us to acknowledge them so that we can grow. This is all a part of building the house. So what you just brought to me was perfect because you added a part to the teaching where it just says that unless God can clean us and do what he needs to do, then God can't do what he wants to do with us. So we've got to let the Lord in. I don't care what we're going through. I don't care what's happening. God can fix all things. All right. So this is Isaiah. I believe I said go to verse 49. Uh, chapter 49, sorry. And let's look at verse one. And he says, listen, O isles, unto me, and hearken ye people from far. The Lord hath called me from the womb, from the bowels of my mother, hath he made mention of my name. And he hath made my mouth like a sharp sword in the shadow of his hand, hath he hid me and made me a polished shaft and uh, his quiver hath he hid me and said unto me, thou art my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Then I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for naught. Like when he says for naught, it means for nothing and in vain, yet surely my judgment is with the Lord and my work with uh, with my God. And then he says, and now saith the Lord that formed me from the womb uh, to be his servant, to bring Jacob again to him, though Israel be not gathered, yet shall I be glorious in the eyes of the Lord and my God shall be my strength. So this is one of the most important things that we can recognize as we just spoke of that when we recognize that we labor in vain, that when we recognize that not a pastor, 
not a church, not family, nor friends, not a successful career is going to do what God wants us to do, then we recognize that we labor in vain. Only when we recognize that we've been doing it ourselves and that we need a hand and that God can handle all things, Jesus Christ, our, our savior, then he becomes our strength because those hands that are weak are the ones that say, I need you. And you know, none of us are strong by our own strength. It is only by the spirit of God and only Jesus Christ being our foundation that we can be built up. So this is just so important that we understand that when we recognize that we're broken and that we're weak, that's the only time that the Lord can fix us. Outside of that, if we think we got it, if we got plan B and we got our own little thing, we'll never do what God says. So this is a great point when we recognize we labor in vain. This is something I'm learning even in ministry that there were things I came up with that God didn't tell me to. I went ahead and did it. It seemed like a good idea. I had everybody's support only to find out it'll fall apart if God wasn't for it. But if God is for it, he'll start to work on it. He'll build it up. Look at verse six. And he said, it is a light thing. Uh, thou shouldest be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved of Israel. I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles that thou mayest be my salvation unto the end of the earth. So it talks about that it's a light thing that, you know, Israel will be restored. God is faithful. If God says he's going to do a thing, then he's going to do it. But what he's recognizing here with them, that they need to be restored. That's why we got a teaching coming up that I hope everybody attends. It's called the fragmented soul, because we don't even realize what we go through daily and what we deal with that causes us to, to end up the way that we are and do what we do. But we must know that if we be of Christ, he's always there with you. He's just waiting for you to give him the wheel. And that's why this is just so important that we rest. When the Bible speaks of us entering into our rest, it means that we give it to God and God works with us. So look at verse seven. He says, thus saith the Lord, the redeemer of Israel and his holy one, to him who man despiseth, to him whom the nations abhorreth, to the servant of rulers, kings shall he um, shall see and arise princes also shall worship because of the Lord that is faithful and the Holy One of Israel, and he shall choose thee. So one thing I also love to hear about the Lord, I love the word appended to his name is redemption or redeemer, because we all had our apple in the bag out of the world. We've trusted in people that have betrayed us. I mean, we've been through so much, but Jesus Christ is a redeemer. He didn't pick us while we were whole and said, you know what? I think you're gonna be good enough to join on my team. He deals with us in a place of brokenness, okay? He sees what could be, and that's what makes our God good. Because with us, we judge with our carnal eyes. If it came time for us to pick something, but someone says, pick your best team, We'll go after all the celebrities and all the people that, that look professional. Yeah, he's tall and strong. I think I'll choose him. But you see, that's not God's eyes. God picks those who he sees the potential to show his glory through, and he works with us. Why? So that God may get the glory. This is the love of our Lord. So he says in verse eight, thus saith the Lord, in an acceptable time have I heard thee, and in the day of salvation have I helped thee, and I will preserve thee and give thee for a covenant of the people 
to establish the earth, to cause to inherit the desolate heritage, heritages, <laughs> verse nine, that thou mayest see to the prisoners go forth to them that are in darkness, shew yourselves, they shall feed in the ways and their pastures shall be in all high places. So this is one reason why God wants to build us up too, because he wants us to be able to reach the lost. That's why God made us whole, that we can go forward and do what he says, okay? Because he knows that there are many prisoners, but we first have to let the Lord free us in order for us to free others. If we're bound, we can't free people bound, okay? And this is what we must understand concerning lots of things that we get into. This is not about a religion. This is about a personal relationship with the Lord. Only when you have that will God begin to build. Now, the devil is ruthless. We know this. We know that when you build a little castle in the sand, he's that wave that comes and knocks down your little sand castle. But guess what? God's got plenty of sand to go around. God will continue to work and build it up to the place that next time that tide comes in, you will be unmovable. Why? Because you have been built up by Christ. All right. That's what he tells us to do. So he says in verse 10, they shall not hunger nor thirst, neither shall the heat nor sun smite them. For he that have mercy on them shall lead them, even by the springs of water shall he guide them. So look at how good God is that he wants to put us together and make us right. And you know, man is made of three parts. He's body, soul, and spirit. The two areas that we are most familiar with when we're not close with the Lord or know him, is body and soul. We know physically what we look like. We know what we like. You know, your soul is your mind, will, and your emotions. So whatever you find yourself getting into and doing, that's what you know. But you see, when God wakes up the spirit in you that we may be born again, then that's the place that God connects with us. And why we suffer a lot and we go through some things is because we need that spirit awakened in us that we can connect with God. Jesus refers to himself as, the, as the, uh, the true vine. If you stay connected to the vine, you will bear fruit. If you disconnect from the vine, you will wither away. So when we have issues in our lives, it's only because we're disconnecting from Christ. We're always gonna have issues regardless, but how we deal with them you know, um, has a lot to do with whether we're connected or not. It's just like if you were to, um, you know, unplug every light in here, the lights are going to go out. You plug them back up, they will light up again. So you see, Jesus Christ is our source of life. That means that he walks with us even in our workplace, even with our families, even with our marriages, even with children, even the things that you think have nothing to do with God. He is our life source. We are to seek his counsel for everything. Why? because he's the architect that is building this house. And unless we cling to him, we're gonna have nothing. You know, so that's what we must know. Verse 11 says, and I will make all my mountains away and my highway shall be exalted. Behold, these shall come from afar and lo, these from the north and from the west and these from the land of uh, sinner. He says, sing, O heavens, and be joyful, O earth and break forth into singing, O mountains, for the Lord hath comforted his people and will have mercy upon his afflicted. So all it really boils down to in this situation is, do we believe God? 
because you see there were a lot of barren wombs in this Bible. We did that teaching on the barren womb. You look at Sarah, Sarah was barren, Rebecca was barren, you know, um, what, Hannah, Samuel's mother was barren, um, Samson's mother, I can't remember her name, I don't think they ever said her name, but she was barren. But out of all of these vessels, God brought forth mighty and powerful men that were able to do his will because of the fact that they, they believed God and he made it fruitful and he brought forth life. So, you know, as we talked about in previous teachings, that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. When we don't see things, we can't judge God according to the circumstances. We've got to believe God in every single thing we do. Why? Because he is always in control. There are a lot of things that we don't understand, you know, in this life. There are a lot of questions that we may have, but we must know, even when we don't have those answers, that God is building everything because he wants us to be full, okay? So we must trust him, not in our circumstances, not what people tell us, not what we see before us. We've got to trust him because he is God and only he knows how to build this house. Let's go to Genesis chapter 11. I wanna make a good point. The Lord just told me to go there, so let's go there. Genesis chapter 11, and let's look at verse one. All right. All right, so this is Genesis 11, you look at verse one, and it says, and the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, go to, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had, and they had brick for stone and slime they had for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven and let us make us a name lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. Now, I want people to look at this from verse three on to verse four. Find how many times in here you can count the word us. All right, because I see what? One, let's see, two, three, <laughs> you know, four, five, I think it's like five times. Or if you don't see us, you see we. But if you notice, this was their plan. Their plan was going to make a city and a tower whose top may reach into heaven. And why? Because they wanted to make a name for themselves. Now, I want people to understand, yes, this is the Tower of Babel that they're talking about, but how this applies to our lives. How many things, how many towers have you and I built? Okay, because it was for us. We wanted to make a name for ourselves. We wanted our status in the world. We wanted to plan out the perfect life that we could have for self. And why? So that we can make a name for self. Did we seek God for these things? In most cases, we haven't. But it says, you know, look at verse five. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, behold, the people is one and they have all one language, and this they begin to do, and now nothing shall be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. He says, go to, let us go down, and, and there confound their language, and they may not, that they may not understand one another's speech. 
It says, so the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of the earth that they let off to build the city. So we must understand here, when God sees that we're going in the wrong path, when God sees in many cases that we're even his enemy when we're in the world, it's because God will, in many cases, ruin your plans because he wants you to get back on track with what is right. I know this is about the Tower of Babel, but let's have a real understanding of this because I lived you know, 30 plus years of my life believing that I was doing the right thing, only to have the Lord start all over again. We've got to knock this mess down that you have built up, these belief systems that you have come with. Even um, when I was you know, living like hell, I thought I was a Christian. But you see, that's building a city and a tower <laughs> that you think is gonna reach into heaven, but it won't because it's not God's plan. God only builds this thing in one way, and that is in spirit and in truth. And we must learn to walk in God's righteousness and his truth to let us build this tower. Where we are right now, and some of us you know, being hurt and things going on, believe it or not, this is a good place to be. This is God's plan so that we can turn, let him knock down this mess that we built up, you know, so that he can actually build it right. So what, what did these guys do here? They labored in vain because when God confused the languages, they didn't understand each other's speech. And that's what we get to at the end of our road sometimes. We don't even understand our own speech. What was the purpose of me doing this? Why did I choose this person you know, to be with me? What did I ever see and what was going on? So God's got to give us a fresh perspective that we can see so that he can tear this mess down and start all over again. Because if you read the Jasher account, man, they built this thing so large that it took a break from one, one year. I think it would take one break to get from the bottom to the top. And it was three days journey around. So they built something major, but it was all for nothing. Why? Because God didn't build it. Go ahead, Sarah. And on that too, you know, it's, it's something we've all done. It's kind of a young person's mentality, but you know mm -hmm. that when you're younger in life or in spiritual faith, when you look at somebody, our first inclination is to look at their outward appearance. Mm -hmm. And, you know, say, for me, if I see a guy, I think he's really attractive. Young person's mentality is the way you react. You're like, oh, he looks good. Mm -hmm. And but he could be the ugliest person on the inside. Mm -hmm. And then the older you get, you realize that's all superficial. What's mm -hmm. on the outside is it really means absolutely nothing because you may work out, you may eat great, and yes, we should take care of these bodies, but it only prevents the inevitable death. We are all scheduled for death. Mm -hmm. And so when Jesus Christ came here, you know, he didn't come here to look attractive. It took that spiritual connection on the inside for people to be drawn to him because his word even says he was not you know, fair to look upon. Mm -hmm. And so that's the same thing with that we have to be about. Mm -hmm. You know, when we see people, our first inclination shouldn't be, oh, they look nice on the outside, but what's on the inside? What's on the inside of that person? And you start to, to look through. Mm -hmm. The Lord gives you the ability and the eyes to actually look through somebody, to see past. Like the one study we did, we said the eyes are the gateway to the soul. And so you look in the person's eyes and you can almost, their life plays out in front of you mm -hmm. when you see their eyes. It's almost like you can get lost in their eyes because it's just like he shows you everything. And at that moment, it's like that person's salvation is 
person to that. And that's only by the Lord. But you got a lot of people today that want to go to church and they don't they don't want that part of it. They just want go there, look nice, listen to a sermon, go home. And they've said that that's salvation. It's not salvation. No, we've got to stay with Jesus Christ, you know, and that's one of the things that we must do as brothers and sisters is disciple one another, spend time with one another because the devil's not dealing with us one-on-one, okay? He's attacking you through every place that he can. That's why we must be around both bodies of believers, checking on one another. How are you doing? How are things going on? Because God means for us to be holes, a bunch of holes, that, were, that make up a bigger spiritual house. And that's the church of God. You know, that's why he calls us to be lively stones, that these things can be done. Because there's some places that, you know, a lot of people don't get to reach um, God or some churches become so big, they're not intimate enough for people to do. And I think that any pastor, man, when he's really on his way out is when he is too busy to even meet up with the most minute person in the church. There should always be an intimacy that they can reach them and talk to them. I know some pastors say, I'm busy talking to a junior pastor, but they'll say, but I heard you speak. I want to speak to you. You know, I'm not saying in every case, but we must understand that we can never be too busy. How many blind men walked by Jesus? I mean, Jesus walked by and they called to him and he came. No matter who they were, no matter what they were doing, they were harlots, prostitutes, whatever. God always made a way, Jesus Christ, to come and see the people. But today we become so political that we just think, well, you know, speak to my agent. No, I'm talking to you. I have a question for you, but this is the way it should be. But you see, when God is building the house, God makes it intimate where you can flow in and out. When God didn't build it or the devil begins to start trying to build, you find distance between the people of God and the servants, I mean, you're not servants, and the people that are of the membership, you begin to find distance. Why? Because they're too busy. When was Jesus ever too busy to see someone? I think churches should be open seven days a week. This two, three-day mess, that's garbage. There are a lot of needs. The devil doesn't stop at what he's doing, so we need to be available for God to work with us. That's what this is about. But whenever we're too busy for people, there's something wrong there because that's not the house that God built. The house that God built, his glory was there, you know, and it filled the temple. Why? So that people may come in and be sanctified. That's what this is about. Let's go to uh, 1 Corinthians 9. I think from here, we're going to stay in the New Testament. But man, what a wonderful God he is. He's there. We just got to believe him. We just got to trust in him. Lord, you got it. I know it looks like there's no roof on the house and this thing looks like it's rocking and there's no foundation, but guess what? I know that you're going to build it because you are God. That's what you do. All right. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 9 and let's begin. Where do I want to go? Let's start at verse 1 because I don't want to miss any gems here. Any questions, anything, want to, anyone wants to add anything? Because this is an open platform, you know? A lot of things that, you know, we may have questions about. This is supposed to be an institute of learning. So if I say anything that goes over anyone's head, I want them to be able to ask why, so they can gain understanding. It ain't about listening to me talk. I talk too much. 
This is 1 Corinthians 9. Let's look at verse 1. He says, I, am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ, our Lord? Are not, are not ye my work in the Lord? If I be not an apostle unto others, yet doubtless I am to you for the seal of my apostleship, are ye in the Lord? So, you know, Paul is someone that understands where he is with the Lord, that God put him in the ministry to reach other people. He says, man, am I not called to do these things? And are you not the work that God has given me? Now, we're not calling people work, but he's trying to make the point that, you know, am I not supposed to take this as a treasure and say, as the Lord builds, he's using me to do such a thing? So I should handle this with care. I should be careful with what I say and careful with what I do because I want to see this person saved just like I am. So he says in verse three, my answer to them that do examine me is this. Have we not power to eat and to drink? Have we not power to lead about a sister, a wife as well as, uh, as other apostles and as the brethren of the Lord and Peter? That's what Cephas means. Only I only and Barnabas have not we power to forbear working. Who goeth a warfare any time uh, at his own charges, who planteth a vineyard and eateth not the fruit thereof? Or who feedeth the flock and eateth not the milk of the flock? So in other words, if we're doing this, we should be caring for the people that are doing this, okay? You do things to be fruitful. You don't plant seeds in the earth just to walk away and forget all about them. You believe that they're going to bear fruit. So you're gonna care for these things until they grow. Sarah's getting a little revelation over there. Look at verse eight. So he says, say I these things as a man or saith not the law the same also? For it is written in the law of Moses, thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox and treadeth out the corn. Doth God take care for oxen? Uh, or saith he it altogether for our sakes. For our sakes, no doubt, this is written that we that ploweth should plow in hope and that he that thresheth uh, in hope should be partaker of his hope. If we have sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great thing that we shall reap uh, your carnal things? So in other words, and we preach the gospel that people may be saved and that they may inherit eternal life and be and glorify God with their being. How could carnal things come forth from this? You see, this is where, and I'm not trying to get on churches because, you know, Jesus Christ, you know, founded the church. So we're not speaking of churches per se, but we're speaking of what some churches do. Okay, the thing here that he's making is, is that if this is all about spiritual things and we are to be born again and be what Jesus Christ wants us to be, then where do all these carnal things come forth in fruit? Like, for example, you know, you got this guy Creflo Dollar telling people that those who don't pay their tithes should go to hell. He also says that those people that, um, you know, he preaches prosperity. But where does it ever say that Jesus wants you to be rich? Jesus doesn't have a problem with being rich, but where does this come from? But you see, these are people trying to take spiritual things and have carnal things come from them. You know, Joel Osteen, you know, he'll tell you some stuff too that you got to really sit back and imagine, okay, God wants you to have your best life now. God wants you to be prepared now to live in eternity, okay? Yes, he will build us up to reach people, but there's nothing spiritual, 
it may have some carnal benefits like you become healthy, you become fruitful, God makes you whole. But the end game is not so that you can be rich and successful here. It's about being, you know, with Christ there. You know, we live here to be made over to do what God says. But I think that when we understand how good Jesus is and we allow him to work on us and he builds us up, you start to want Jesus. You want to start to glorify him with everything that you do, because a lot of people want to feel better. But we've got to ask ourselves, do we want Jesus? Do you want a relationship with him? Because you see, the devil plays this trick on us when God is building us up. He makes us feel better after Jesus does. And then, you know, the devil tells you, okay, well, feeling better now, you can move on. But do you want Jesus? Do you want him to, once this house is built up, do you want him living in it? Because that's what this whole thing is about. Some people want to be built up. And then the first thing they'll say is, I, I, I. I was I was strong. I got through this. I did that. But you forgot all about the Lord. But when God builds this house, he wants to live in it. And we've got to be willing to let him live in it. So why? So that the house can remain, you know, strong. Okay, that's what this whole thing is about. Verse 12, he says, if others be partakers of this power uh, over you, are not we rather? Nevertheless, we have not used this power but suffer all things lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ. So they understand that they are, you know, looking out for the people and they're suffering. I mean, back then, when it came to preaching the gospel, I mean, these guys were ridiculed, mocked. I mean, you know, a lot of them killed and things went on, but they suffered these things because they wanted to see people grow. And that's what a house of God does. It grows to the place of, no matter what my problems are, it's nothing compared to what God wants. And I think in many cases, the devil tries to bring us to the place of worrying about self. There's nothing wrong with worrying about getting it together. But the end game is, is that Jesus Christ lives in you and he becomes glorified. I realize the more I'm involved in ministry and I pay attention to what Jesus wants, man, my problems just go away. You see, that's a mystery that, that a lot of people are not told. They think I've got to be made right. So that way I can represent Christ. Yeah, but God can fix you up along the way. That's what he does. And as he begins to work on you, even though we're not 100% where we want to be, but you realize that he begins to use you and you forget about you. I used to worry about money all the time, but you know what I found out? You get about the Lord's business, he'll get about yours. You see, but it's all about trusting in him. That's why God wants us involved in ministry. He wants us to fellowship together so that we can become a house of prayer. We can pray for people. We can minister to people. And all of a sudden, your problems go away. The bills that you thought you had, you don't have them. You know, God's already paid them off. Why? Because he wants you busy for him. That's what this whole thing is about. So look at verse 13. He says, do ye not know that they which minister about holy things live of the things of the temple, and they which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar. So in other words, if we're going to be about spiritual things, then we've got to be that temple of the living God. And then he says, and they which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar. Do you not realize that there's a sacrifice in play here? You don't go to the altar unless you're willing to make a sacrifice. And a lot of people come to the altar 
you'll see pastors make an altar call and it gets packed down there. But you know, you'll find half of them don't even know why I'm here. I don't even know that I'm here to give my life to Christ and let the chips fall where they may, wherever he wants to lead me, whatever he wants to teach me, whomever he wants me to marry, where he wants me to work. All these things are based on being a partaker of the altar. If you're a sacrifice, you don't have any say in this. You're a sacrifice, you give it to the Lord. Okay, Lord, now I done messed up my life. Okay, so now here you are to fix it and make it right. So this is what it's about. So you give yourself to him and he plans out your life. Okay, but this is what the sacrifice is about. But a lot of people come to the altar, they become a member of the church and they become an offering to the church, but they don't know Christ. What we're here to do is to get people to know Jesus. A ministry can't can't save you, a church can't save you. No one can save you except that that sacrifice gives himself to the Lord and God works through it. That's what this is about, man. And God is such a good God, man. You know, and I didn't know how good he was because I was just a little rebellious son, but once he began to calm me down and get me in that place of understanding, you realize you don't want to do things without the Lord. You want to trust him in every little thing because he has your best interest at heart. So many times I doubted the Lord, you're not going to come through. I can tell you're not going to help me in this situation. And he comes through and then you feel ashamed because God had it the whole time. Sometimes that's just the devil playing tricks on your mind, trying to get you to doubt God. But when you have faith, you know, hey, I don't know how this is going to be built or how it's going to get fixed, but I know this, Jesus Christ has got it. And we've got to let it rest in his hands, okay? So he says in verse 14, even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live in the gospel. But I have used none of these things, neither have I written these things, that it should be so done unto me. For it were better for me to die than that any man should make my glory in void. Okay, so Paul's making clear here, the glory is the Lord's, verse 16. But though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. So Paul is saying, you know, there's no glory for yourself in this. You know, a lot of people glory pastors and, oh man, that was a great message. Hey, the glory is the Lord's. You know, I'm just a vessel that he's using to get things done. The glory is his. I have no idea what I'm going to say up here or what I'm going to do. It's all Christ. It's all Jesus. He finds a body. He puts his voice into it and he speaks to the person. That's the way God works. All right. So he says in verse 17, for if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if I, but if against my will, I, uh, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me, what is my reward? Verily, that when I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of Christ without charge, that I abuse not my power in the gospel. So Paul is saying, you've got to come as a free will offering. You've got to give it to the Lord. You don't charge money to hear the gospel. You know, in Joe Osteen's church now, I heard that. He, um, you got to pay to get in. I think Christina told us that. Yeah, you got to pay admission to go in there and learn lies. But this is how the enemy, what's that? But this is how the enemy can get you to think. He can get you to think 
My word is so powerful that you need to pay to see me. Now, who built that house? That's the synagogue of Satan. You know, Jesus didn't build it, you know, but this is what he's saying, so that he abuses not his power of the gospel. Uh, for though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all that I might gain the more. He says, and unto the Jews I became as a Jew that I might gain the Jews to them that are under the law as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. And them that are without law, uh, as without law, being not without law to God, but under the law of Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. Uh, to the weak I became as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might be that I might by, by all means save some. So you see the true definition of someone in ministry is to be a servant. You've got to care for the people, why? Because God put them in your path that they can grow, okay? The only reason we have apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists, they don't build the house, but they help to perfect the saints. They teach you about the Lord, they get you ready for ministry that you can do what God says. Salvation is an individual affair that we all must go through for the sake of growth. But all ministers are supposed to be is just servants of the Lord that try and help people to make it. But what do you find people doing today? They're, these houses are built up as being lords over God's heritage, that they're special individuals that you need to serve and worship and do all these things. And that's not the calling upon God and what he wants to do for us. So I'll make the point here. And he says, know ye not that they which run a race run all, uh, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they that, uh, now they that do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. So if you look at everything in this world, but we talked about this before, that when you go to school or you work or you do everything, you're running your own race, okay? You run your race to get a corruptible crown. What does God mean by it's corruptible? The very fact that after you get it, it doesn't really mean much. You can do some things in this life, but it doesn't take you on to the next life. So, you know, you got a lot of people out there that are directing people to run a race in the world, be successful, have your best life, but what God means to give us is an incorruptible crown. That means that when all is said and done here, we've got eternity to look forward to. And what God gives you, no man can take away. One of the biggest problems with people trying to preach the gospel is they don't want people heavenly minded. They try and get you to focus things here on earth that have nothing to do with God. And you see, when we understand that there is something greater than this, then we got more to look forward to than to go through the same ring again and again and again, all right? Verse 26 of, uh, says, uh, I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth against the air. So when God gives you a calling and he gives you a purpose, it becomes, um, he makes it aware to you, so you're not running with uncertainty. You're not going all over the place trying to figure out where you're supposed to go. You're not shadow boxing, just swinging wild at the enemy and hitting nothing but air. That's not the way that this thing works with God. Verse 27 says, 
but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. Now, how do we do that? Anybody know? How do we keep up under our body and bring it into subjection? Fasting, prayer, mm -hmm. and having, having that relationship with him, that you know, it helps you know that you have to do these things because when you have that relationship, he will tell you how you sign the fast. That's right. You've been spending too much time in the world. It's, you know, your body's starting to gain over you. Your flesh is starting mm -hmm. to gain over you. So when you fast, it, it pulls it back down and frees it. You know, it's like he gives you that power to bring it. That's right. Because you guys ever wondered how you can go to church and feel so spiritual while the moment you're there, you're feeling good. And then you walk out and like maybe an hour or two later or a day later, you feel like you're right back in your mode. You see, the thing is, is whomever we spend time with, we're going to be like. That's just the way we are. That's the way we're made. So the more time we spend with the Lord or we, we you know, reach him in prayer, and, you know, maybe fasting when we mature in Christ and, and doing things, you know, reading his word, we start to become more like him. So he's like that check. The Holy Ghost will actually tell you, hey, you're going a little off course. It's time to get back on track. But you see, if we don't keep up under this body, this body will sin. This body will go against God. This body will start to seek for unnatural things that are not of God. Okay, that's what the fallen flesh is. And that's why when we become born again, we've got to give it to Christ. We've got to spend time. Paul says, if we walk in the spirit, we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. But, you know, at times, this can be hard to do alone. This is why, you know, it's important that we team up with people, that we have prayer partners, that you got people that you read the word with, that you check on one another. Why? Because some of us may be kind of weaker in our spiritual walk. And, you know, you need a brother or sister to say, hey, you know, read this with me. Why don't you come with me here? Why don't we do this? And a lot of people are falling by the wayside because we're not being the house that God built. God meant for us to be lively stones to build up a spiritual house that we may be there for one another. That's what this is about. That's how the house of God functions. This is how the temple of God is built up. It's full of temples that come together to help others grow. That's what this is about. This is not just your personal life. God is gonna judge us for how we treated others. Okay, so that's why we've got to let God build it. Why? Because when he builds this house, it will be unselfish. It will pick up the fruit that Jesus Christ wants us to, which is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, gentleness, meekness, temperance, and faith. You see, these are the things that are in the spiritual house that God wants us to bear fruit with. But when the enemy builds the house, it's total selfishness, and that's not what we're supposed to be. So Paul says, why does he keep under his body? Lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. So Paul is saying it's possible to preach the gospel. And if he doesn't keep up under himself and his own motives, he himself can become a castaway. So you see, this is our salvation, but this is also the salvation of others that God wants us to care for. That is the only church of God that exists. The church are the people which is the Greek word ecclesia, which means those who are separated and sanctified unto God that he can use. That's the true title of the word church, the true meaning, okay? If, if people are outside of the building, 
guess what? That's not the church. If, if, the, if the people of God are in that building, that's the church. Jesus said, where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. You can have a thousand people sitting together, but that doesn't make it the church. The church are those who believe Christ, who are separated unto Christ and willing to do the works of Jesus Christ. That's what this is about. All right, let's move on. This tonight's study is not going to be that long. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I want to go to 1 Corinthians 15. This is a beautiful chapter for us in spiritual growth and where God wants us to in building up this house. Anyone have anything to add? If not, I'm just going to go from there. Okay. This is 1 Corinthians 15. He says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also have uh, ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. So what does he want us to do? He wants us to be aware of his word, that we obey him and do what he says, unless we believe in vain. We don't want to do that. Verse three, he says, for I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he was seen of Peter, that Cephas, then of the twelve. After that, have, have, he was seen of above, of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, them of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me also as of one born out in, of due time. So Paul is saying that Jesus had revealed himself unto all of them. You know, and there was funny that some of them didn't believe, but he came to Paul, who was one born out of due time. What does that mean? You know that Paul never physically met Jesus, but on the road to Damascus, Jesus revealed himself to him, and Paul became a Christian from that point on. So he says in verse nine, for I am the least of the apostles, that I am not me to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. So we know that before Paul was saved, he was the enemy of the church. He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace was, uh, which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. So Paul didn't labor in vain. And what Jesus did to Paul wasn't in vain. Because, you know, from there, Paul became the hardest working apostle that there was. But look at how God took someone that was an enemy, totally against God, and God made his life right so that he could pursue God. And you see, when God builds the house, there is no labor in vain. When God builds you up, he gets you prepared that you will live your life as a Christian victorious every day of your life. Yes, you're going to stumble. Yes, you're going to trip. Yes, you're going to have hard times, but when God builds it, 
He builds it to last. That is what he does. So he says, um, I believe him in verse uh, verse 11. He says, therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preached and so ye believed. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? Uh, but if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain and your faith is also vain. So, you know, what Paul's trying to get people to understand here is it's all about being heavenly minded and understanding God. If we are only doing things in this life, or we only want Jesus for this life, then man, that's not gonna work out for us because God wants us to have such a higher calling. All the world can do is turn you back to it and you begin to perform like the world. And in that, you have lots of pain and misery and all these other things. You can work a job for 20 years and one day they'll just say, you know what? I think we're just gonna let you go because we got other stuff going on. So you see, when you put your treasures in this world, you're gonna reap the benefits of what this world does. But if you put your treasures in God, you will always be fruitful. You will always you know, have God's spirit to lead you and guide you that you can finish your course or finish your path. That's what this whole thing is about. It's who we invest in determines how we live and how we walk. So he says in verse 16, for if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. Ye are yet in your sins. So if we don't believe that Jesus Christ rose again, and that he conquered death, and that he has prepared a place for you and I, and that we are the temple of God, that God wants us to be raised up and to be glorified, then all of our labor is in vain. If we don't even believe the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, and that he has made a place for us that's more real than this one, then what you and I are going to do is fall by the wayside. You know what? Nothing to look forward to except stinking everyday life. And this is why he wants us to get beyond this so that we can see with a fresh perspective. Verse 18 says, then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, then we are of all men most miserable. So if your hope is only in this, you're gonna reap the pain and suffering and benefits of this. You can live in this world. You can have the things that God wants you to have here. But we must keep in mind that Jesus is not just our help here, but he's, our, he's an ever-present help in our time of need. And he also is, you know, that anchor to receiving eternal life. Man, if we could only get away from some of this and give it to Christ, you watch how fruitful your life will become. Because when you realize that you're serving him, Man, it just like springs forth new life that, man, not even pain, sickness, nothing, you know, stops you from doing the Lord's will. Like that day when we um, were going out because we um, feed the homeless on uh, Wednesdays. It was so funny, man, that I wasn't really feeling good from work. It was rainy. And we had already said we're not going to go out there like, you know, not this week. As I began to walk by and I saw those people standing out in front of McDonald's waiting for us in the rain, I was like, there's no way in the world that I can go home 
and relax and do what I want to do. You see, God's call is for greater. No matter how bad we think we've got it, there's someone always dealing with worse. And you know what? My tiredness went away. My um, my headache, whatever it is I was going through, just went away. The night was perfect. Sarah will tell you. You know, Sarah came out too. She was sick. Her sickness just went away. Why? Because God wanted a work to be done. You know, and that's what it's about. The week after, remember, we went out and made two pots of chili. Okay, for the um for the homeless. The funny thing was that um when we first got out there, we thought, man, maybe this is a bad idea because nobody's showing up. But all of a sudden, the Lord began to send people, and they were coming, and they ate. And you know what? That made us forget about being in the cold. That made us care for the things that God wants, because you know this is why He's building us that we can do His will. So it says, you know, if you um have only hope in this life in Christ. And you're of all men most miserable because Jesus wants to take you so much farther than this. Verse 21, I'm on verse 20. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man come death, or came death, by man also uh, came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. So you see, what we're really dealing with still is Adam's curse. And that's why we've got to be born again. Because remember, Adam and Eve were told thorns and thistles would come their way. Every day now they would have to work when God provided for them everything that they would need. What is the solution? That we must be born again. We've got to be born of the spirit that we can forget the old life, that we can glorify Christ. I'm telling you, it's like a transformation. When I first met Sarah, hey, I'm gonna tell the truth. Sarah looked like a Mo from the Three Stooges. Her hair was real short. She was military, you know, and everything. And that was her whole life. And she thought, you know, hey, this is cool because that's what she was in, you know? But the bottom line is when the Lord got to her, he changed her, you know, he built her over. The spirit lives in her. She struggled with alcohol for years. I mean, you can tell your story, but the, the thing is, is that she struggled with that. But you see, while the Lord was building her up, he took it away from her. Things that we think that we can't separate from, God can do. He says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But we've got to believe God. I mean, she says she drove home drunk many a day. She should have been dead. But you see, the Lord delivered her because she believed. And he can take away any pain, any hurt, anything we suffered with. God does not labor in vain. God means to build up spiritual houses that can house the spirit of God. But we've got to believe him. There was nothing. And here's the other thing. God built us with a will a free will that, you know, we can either choose God or we can choose otherwise. But one thing he built us to do is this, nothing is stronger than your will. If you will yourself to do something or not to do it, God will reinforce that with his spirit if you want to do it. What keeps people rebelling from God and doing what they do? Their will. They have already set their will in play that no matter what I hear, no matter what I learn, no matter what, I'm going to go my way. 
But you see, that's how strong the will is, even when God shows us that he's good. But what God also wants to do is reinforce that will, get it turned towards him, that no matter what lies that the devil tells, no matter what deception he brings, no matter how he tries to use people to hurt you, he can take those things away from you that you will stay on the path. But one thing I've learned in my experience in dealing in ministry and living my life, nothing is stronger than your will. When you say to yourself, I'm not gonna do it. I hate this Lord, I'm done with it. Take it from me. He will take it from you because that is the God that we serve. I don't care what you're struggling with, God can do all. There was a friend of mine, you know, that had a sickness. I don't want to say exactly what it is, but I know that God can deliver from all. God can heal from whatever it is that you're going through. So I know that my God is able. I don't mean to raise my voice in here, but I want to make this point. Our God can do all. And if he intends to build us up and to make these things happen in our lives, then all we've got to do is give him our will. That's one thing I've learned. There were so many things I struggled with and sexual sin and other things. But when you give God the will and you say to the Lord, I'm done. I hate this. I don't want this in my life anymore. God will reinforce that. And some things take time. Sometimes you're going to stumble, you're going to fall. But if you keep heading in the right direction, God will make you strong enough to overcome those things in your life. That's the house that God builds. And that's what God does slowly because he wants us to get it right step by step. There are some areas in our life that the Holy Ghost controls and there's other areas that the devil controls. What's the goal? Yield those things to the Lord so that he can take over those things. I mean, and this is not as hard as it might be sounding right here, but this is God trying to build us up that we can be right, that we can just have things the way that he wants. Let the patience of God have his perfect work so that he can, he can finish us. And when God builds this house, it'll be a sight to behold. I, I'm telling you guys, don't know how wretched I was. Okay, but one thing I know is, in some ways, I still feel like I'm wretched. The closer you get to the Lord, the more God shows you, hey, I know you've been doing this for five years, and you and I have been through a lot, and I'm building you up, but guess what? I don't like that either, so you need to stop. But now you're at a place where you're strong enough to say, okay, Lord, I won't do that anymore. So he'll ever show us, this is a journey. This isn't just about arriving. This will be to the end of your life. God will build this house. That's what God came to do. All right, so where am I? Uh, so you see, through Adam, all men die. But through Christ, all men will be made alive. But every man to his own order. Christ, the first fruits afterward, uh, they that are Christ at his coming. And then he says, then cometh the end when, um, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom of God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. And he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. We don't realize at times how great an enemy death is to us. You know, why a lot of people won't serve God is fear of death. Why a lot of people don't do the things that God wants is because you know, they have this spiritual and physical death hanging on to them. 
But you know what a Christian understands is that eternal life is more important than anything else that we can deal with here. And that makes you lose the fear of living this life for Christ. And when I mean death, I don't mean just physically dying. I'm speaking of a lot of people feel like they're going to miss out if they serve Christ. If I serve you, then I'm going to be the weird person now. No one's going to want to hang out with me. Well, guess what? There are a lot of us weird ones that meet together and believe Christ and do the things that he wants. It's not you that's gone weird. God turned your perspective from upside down to right side up. But if you're living in an upside down world, you're going to be seen as strange. You see how the truth gets pushed away today? No one wants to tell the truth. A police officer can't even give a description of a criminal without someone saying he's racist. Oh, did you have to say a black man did it? Hey, if he's a criminal, he's a criminal. What do you want him to say? Somebody ran down somewhere? No, you're going to tell the truth. But people are offended by the truth today. And that's what's become of our world. It is shrouded in darkness. But what God wants to do is use us to bring forth that light. All right. So anyway, he says, uh, uh, verse 27, for he hath put all things under his feet. But when he saith all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is accepted, uh, which did put all things under him. And when all things shall be subdued unto him, uh, then shall the son also himself be subject unto him and put all things under him that God may be all in all. So you see, God is doing the same work with us. He's putting all of us under him, that God may be all in all. Like I said, some of the things that I struggle with in my life, God's taking away. Why? So that God can be all in all in you and I. I mean, you know, it's that simple. We just got to learn to give it to God. As we enter through relationship, this is not just a stop it now sort of thing. I know a lot of people come with their approach. If you're doing that, it's a sin. You need to stop. No, if it's a sin and you're doing that, you need to take it to Jesus and you need to pray and ask the Lord, help me to do this. Help me to stop doing what I'm doing. Because you know what? A lot of people, when they don't allow the Lord to build this house, what happens is they find themselves trying to please men. But guess what? That's not going to help your situation either. How many times have we tried to be religious before others to say this is how we're going to live? only to have that house knocked over and fall. You know why? Because it wasn't out of the Lord, okay? God might've brought the sin to you, but now God wants you to rely on him to get rid of it. You've got to trust God. God, take this from me. Lord, I know I used to do this. Can you, can you fix it and take it away? Because if we try and perform for people, knowing that we're struggling, all you're gonna be is a religious hypocrite. Trust me, I speak from experience. Okay, there were many things I knew I was struggling with, but I didn't want to tell people about it. So I tried to outwardly perform like I'm not doing it. What good is that if I leave there and go and do it anyway? You see what I'm saying? So we've got to let the Lord bring these things to us. Lord, I know what I heard in your word today. This is wrong. But I also know it's something that I'm fighting with. Can you take this from me? And, and you know, reach out to brother and sisters. To pray for you, you know, to get there in this fight with you, that these things can go away. But a lot of people religiously, and I'm not saying don't tell people about sin, because, you know, that's not the, the ministry we are. We tell people. But the thing is, is 
you know, when the person hears it, if you're convicted to stop, then stop. But if you know it's something you're struggling with still, Lord, take it from me because I don't have the strength to do this in myself. And God will reinforce that and take it from you. But in order to, um, to have this house built up, you gotta hate sin. You've got to hate the things that God hates and love the things that God loves. That's why he tells us about this so that we can make a choice in serving him. Mm -hmm. You've got to hate it, man. If there's a part of you that still loves to disobey God, you'll never do what God says. You may perform for others, but it'll only be a matter of time before you'll fall back into where you are because it, God didn't sit in your heart. God didn't set it right. All right, let me make the point. Anyway, um, see, I can talk a lot. So anyway, um, where am I? Verse uh, 29. He says, else, what shall they do which are baptized for the dead? If the dead rise not all, why are they then baptized for the dead? And why stand we in jeopardy every hour? I protest by the rejoicing which I have in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I die daily. So what is Paul speaking of? Dying out to self. Okay. What this, we have an old man and a new man that we struggle with. I know I want to go ahead, but I need to explain this. The old man is the old nature from Adam. What Adam eats is against God. The new nature that we have from Christ that we're developing, if we feed that man and we forget the old man, then the old man will eventually die out, which will have the new man come to life in Christ. What we feed of the new man is what is gonna come out of it. But if we're feeding the old man, the old nature, that old man will stay right there. You know, the things that are against God. So we need to pray and ask God for these things that we can move on. But let's skip now, because I wanna get to a, um, a good point. So uh, let's look at verse 39, okay? And he says, all flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another of the flesh of beasts, another of fishes and another of birds. There are also celestial bodies and, and bodies terrestrial. So it means that there are spiritual bodies and there are earthly bodies, but the glory of the celestial one and the glory of the terrestrial is another. So a celestial body, as we know, when God comes for us in the end, we're gonna have glorified bodies. That will be a body that's perfect before God. That means God is gonna live in it. You won't even have the urges and the things that you deal with, those, those things will be gone from you. But the terrestrial body is one that can house the Holy Ghost, have the spirit, but there'll still be some things that you've got to fight, you know, this flesh through to stay with God. So you see, one glory of the terrestrial is not the glory of the celestial. The celestial body is gonna be perfect. It's gonna be like Christ completely. The terrestrial body is going to house the spirit of God to do the will of God, but you know, this body's gonna get old, it's gonna corrupt. You know, there are days you're not gonna feel like doing what God says, and you've got to stay up under it. So you see, those are two different types of glories. But then he says, verse 41, but there is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, um, for one star different from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption, it is raised in incorruption. So you notice that we first begin with a corruptible body and then God has to bring it into the place of incorruption. That's what we go through. Verse 43 is just like a mother 
when she has children, you know, hey, birth pains, you know, but in order to get to what you want, which is that life manifested, you've got to go through travail. You've got to suffer through that birthing process that when the baby is born, you forget all about what you struggled with. This is God building the house. It's going to take that labor to get where you want to be. And I mean, in this life, there's nothing that you get for nothing. You go to school for as many years as you do for what? You know, you train your body as an athlete to get to what? So there's always going to be a labor and a work that is going to be done in order to bring forth what you want. That's why I really despise when ministers preach a lot of soft soap gospel. Why? Because you're not preparing the people for the things that they need. You told me that my life was going to be perfect when I found Jesus and I wouldn't have any trouble whatsoever, but it seems like my life has got worse. So you see a lot of liars tell people this stuff, but you know that the battle's just begun when you accept Christ. But one thing will happen is you'll grow stronger. You'll be able, you'll grow smarter. The things that used to take you down don't take you down anymore. Why? Because the Lord is building that house. That's what this is about. So he says, uh, verse 43, it is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory, it is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, is made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. So if you notice, Adam was made a living soul. What is your soul? Your mind, your will, and your emotions. So that meant that anybody could have jumped in there and turned Adam around and had Adam doing what they want. I'm not saying Adam wasn't the son of God. He was. But Adam wasn't really made aware of what his true spiritual power was, what he should have been. The devil got to them really young. Adam had the Holy Ghost. Adam didn't know how to house the Holy Ghost. Adam, even though God gave him dominion, was a babe in Christ, you may as well say. He was going to learn, be guided by God to the place of him understanding his fullness. A lot of us can be made full, but not understand the fullness that God gives us. So you see, this is a process and growth, but the last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Jesus led by the spirit all of his life to do what God says. Jesus' whole purpose of being here was to glorify the father with his works, with his actions and his ways. We're gonna all get there too in Christ. If we stay with Jesus and do what he says, he will build this house. And when he builds it, it's not gonna go down. All right, so I believe him in verse 46 and he says, how be it? That was not first, which is spiritual, but that which is natural and after that, which is spiritual. So Paul is giving us words of encouragement here. Man didn't start out just spiritual. Okay, man became natural. He was natural first, and then he became spiritual. So these should be encouraging words for us because yeah, we may not be where we want to be in Christ yet, but this is a journey. So God is still working on us, and he's going to build us up. 47, the first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. So what is the earth and earthly? That means he has an earth-like nature. He's lowly. He's worldly. This is all he knows. But the last man is going to be the Lord, was the Lord from heaven, which was Christ. As, as is the earthy, such are they also. 
that are earthy, and as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. So just as Adam was, when we're not born again, we're the same way. We think like the world. We think like our parents. We think like those that we grew up around and those we spent time with. But just as we by nature have been partakers of Adam in the way that he was, through Christ, we will by nature begin to be like him. That's what born again is all about. All right. Hopefully I'm not giving too much at one time, but it says in 49, and as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I shew you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye and at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. I can't speak for anybody else, but I know that this is something that I want. I want to be raised on that last day. Mm -hmm. I want what the Bible says, all pain, all tears, all sorrow, all the things that this world pushed on me will be taken away and I will be raised with Christ. This is the whole purpose of being a Christian is living forever with him. You know, if you even want to look at some of the dirty tricks that the world does, you buy a house and you say, man, this is my house. Look at it. You know, I built it myself. But guess what? You don't own the land. So even after you paid off the mortgage for the rest of your life, you've got to pay taxes. Now, that's how evil and corrupt this world is. You can never fully own something. If you stop paying the taxes, they come and take the house. So you see, you can't lay up treasures really here on earth. You can have these things for the time being, but just know you can't take these things with you. So see, that's another thing in building up the house that God wants us to have. We must understand you can't keep anything here. Our main focus should be on Jesus Christ and what he wants. You know, you anything you buy, you get a house, you think you can drive your car with no insurance? People have tried only until they get caught. You paid off $100,000 for that, but your insurance comes every month. Stop paying it and try and drive the car then. You're going to find out that wasn't your car. You see, so this is what we must learn, that you can't keep anything here. This is the devil's world. All right, where am I in verse uh, 52? He says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the uh, trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, but we shall be changed. And this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. That means living forever. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall uh, be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. So can you imagine that when we live forever, the Bible talks about that death and hell will be thrown into the lake of fire because there's no more need for them, that we will actually live forever. You know, the one thing that man fears in this life to two things is death and hell. The funny thing is you can laugh at death and say to him, you got no more power over me. I'm going to live forever. This is what Jesus Christ wants to do with this house. 
Okay, so he says, O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. So as you can see, the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. Why? Because we won't go on to glory with Christ if he doesn't take it from us. We're going to go into the, you know, hell, like the Bible says. But, you know, when it says the wages of sin is death or the sting of death is sin, then the strength of sin is the law. So if we're not sinning, then we not we don't need to be made conscious of our sins. We become conscious of our sins, okay, when we sin. But when we're not sinning, we're living right for Christ. We don't have that on our conscience. So God wants to bring us to that place of not thinking about sin. Why? Because it doesn't live in me any longer. Okay, so that's why the strength of sin is the law. That's why I don't like to come at people with thou shalt not. Enter into relationship with Christ, read the word, hear the gospel. What you can't conquer, let Jesus take from you. Because even though those people saw the Levitical law, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. It even had penalties of death there, but what happened? Man couldn't stop doing what he was doing on his own because it takes the spirit of God to remove these things from us. Amen. All right, so anyway, verse 57 says, but thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast. So steadfast means added, instant, unmovable. Don't let your ground be shaken. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. So when we stay about the Lord's business, we don't have to worry about the outside things that are gonna come our way. That's important, okay? And then he says, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You know, I just used a couple of examples of laboring in vain. You build a house yourself, you do all these things, and the government tells you, that might be your house, but I own the land. So you see, we don't labor in vain with God. God remembers every deed that we do. And it's time that we start living for him and forsake the world because the world is going to try and hurt us. Mm -hmm. That's all the world can do. Let's go to Matthew 7. Let's see how long we've been at it. Matthew 7, we're almost done. Matthew chapter 7. I want to bring up a key point here. Got to let the Lord build. All right, Matthew 7, let's begin at, uh, well, verse 15 is always good. Let's go to Matthew 7, look at verse 15. He says, beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Now, why is this important? Because if God comes to build up, the devil comes to tear down. A lot of false um, you know, uh, teachers out there will build houses of cotton candy. You know, They'll try and make you feel warm and fuzzy, but you've got no reinforcement to keep you strong. Yes, sir. Can we actually start at 13? Yeah, sure. You wanna read it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so this is Matthew 7 and 13. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many there be that go Many there be which go in their act. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way, which leads unto life, and few there be that find it. Yeah, and that's a great point, because you can see 
It's not the many, it's the few. There are not going to be a lot of people. There will be a lot of people saved in this, but a lot of people are going through that broad gate with this broad doctrine. You can believe in Jesus and Muhammad and all the others and you're good. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father, but through Jesus Christ. So a lot of people are going through the broad way. You don't have to take your salvation that serious. You don't have to do this. You can stay in sin and live your life. You know, we just, uh, you know, you can sin and God will understand. Hey, I can tell you through personal experience, I once believed that. I once believed that you can sin all your life and God would be okay. Now, what types of sins? I mean, sin is sin, but I want to make this point clear to people as well that, you know, there may be things that we do at times, like our thoughts. You know, we may have bad thoughts towards someone that wronged us. God can clean those things out. But as far as, you know, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, and all these other things, God can remove every single sin from your life. And your thoughts will change towards your brother because it begins in the heart. Jesus said the things on the outside are not the things that defile a man. It's the thing that is inside that God needs to remove to build you and I up. That's what this whole thing is about. So a lot of people are going in through the broad way that leads to destruction. Seems like an easy path. Seems fun. Seems like I can do whatever I want. And somehow God's going to be okay. Hey, there are tons of people that believe that. But he says, you know, like Sarah mentioned, but straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life and few there be that find the way. So, you know, there are not a lot of people giving people the truth. Why do I do it? Because I fear the Lord and I want other people to be saved. If someone loves you, they're going to tell you the truth about your sin that you can change and decide to follow Jesus Christ. Me giving you, you know, fun and games up here, that's not going to help the situation. But we do understand that when we are broken, God deals with us gently at times because he means for us to be built up. If God ever leaned on you and I with all his might, then we would just blow apart like leaves. So God deals with us in a way that we can relate and understand to build, you know, to get us ready. Mm-hmm. We can't take what God would dish out if he really wanted to. So he says in verse 15, beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Uh, ye shall know them by their fruits. So Jesus has given us an indication of those who have the fruit. Okay, this is how you judge, not by smiley faces, not by, you know, people that look friendly. He says, judge the fruit. Then he says, do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree will bring forth evil fruit. How many times we thought we were going to church with people that were cool and they loved Jesus? You get out in the parking lot, and I mean, out come the curse words. And, you know, I don't really believe in that and blah, blah, blah. And, then they'll tell you, you start talking to them about the Bible and they get offended. Hey, I thought we were all Christians here. But you see, those are the trees. He says, you'll know them by their fruit. How do they perform when they leave or wherever they are? You know, these are things to even monitor ourselves. Hey, I'm a Christian. I should be watching what I'm saying here because those who know that I am are watching me. All right. So he says, um, even so, Oh, verse 16, I believe I am. Wait, where am I? 
18. Thank you. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Not every one that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Now, Jesus has told us in his gospels, many of us have professed us professed him with our lips, but our hearts can be far from him. So he wants us to be real trees, real houses built up with spiritual fruit that we don't have to try and be a Christian. We simply are by nature. This thing is by nature. You cannot perform this thing and appear to be that way. You've got to go through the slow process of sanctification, knowing God, intimacy with God, that he can build us up strong, that we can be what he says we are. I mean, you will never see oranges come off of an apple tree, okay? So this is why God wants us to be those fruit, I mean, those trees that we can bring forth those good fruit. So he says, by their fruits you will know them, but everyone, um, not everyone on that day will say unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works, and then will I profess unto them, I never knew you, Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. We did a teaching not too long ago called Sin, Iniquity, and Transgression. I encourage people that they get an understanding of the three. Sin is to miss the mark. That means if God tells me he wants me to end this study in five minutes and I end it in 10 minutes, that's sin, okay? Now, I'm not trying to be funny. I'm just bringing up a point. When you miss the mark, it means when God tells you to do one thing and you do another, that's sin. So sin is just for, you know, against God. But then when you have um, transgression, transgression is willful sin. That means that once God tells you the truth, if God says, I don't want you to do this, and you know it from reading the word and being taught, and you go and do it, that's transgression. You're going beyond the law. It's like if someone were to show you um, the speed limit, you know, you look at the speed limit, it says 55 and you go 56. That's transgression because you know what the law says, but you're breaking the law right now. OK, so sin is when you sin in most cases, you may not be made aware of it. You don't even know that you're sinning. God has to tell you in some ways that's a sin. OK, so now, you know, if you go beyond what God tells you is sin, now you're transgressing. Why? Because you've been made aware of this and you're continuing to go forward. The last one is iniquity, which is the nature that we were born with, that we don't even know why we do what we do. That's the part that God wants to take away. Now, remember, he says, you have heard it said in time past that, if, uh, that thou shalt not commit adultery. What is adultery? The sin. He says, but I tell you, but I say unto you, even if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you have already committed the act. What is he dealing with there? Iniquity. You see what I'm saying? The iniquity, because the thoughts don't come from anywhere. You know, those thoughts came from within that very nature that we had. So you see, God deals with us by removing the iniquity. When you remove the iniquity, there's no more transgression. Or even if you do find out, oh, Lord, forgive me, I got to make this right. And you won't go back there again. 
You know, it brings forth godly sorrow, which brings forth repentance. But you know, sin is just, everybody sins against God because it's God's law. But transgression is willful sin. I'm gonna do it even though I heard what he said. And then iniquity is that very nature that causes us to do what we do. So when God plucks us up by the roots and he takes these things from us, that's why we can lose the appetite to sin because God's working with the very nature that we inherited that we will have iniquity no more. That's what this is about, you know? So he says those who work iniquity, those are those who wouldn't let God govern them. They thought all I had to do was go to church, live my life, have a good time. But you see, I was doing religious works for the Lord, so therefore I should be saved, right? No, that's why Paul says to buffet your body and stay up under it so you won't be a castaway. I can preach to everyone here and you guys can be saved. Go on with Jesus. And if I'm doing dirt behind God's back or behind everyone else's back, this is not a pass because I'm preaching the gospel. I can preach the gospel, people will get saved. And in the end, I can go to hell, okay? Because God wants you to be authentic. He doesn't want you to be a play actor. There's nothing worse than backsliding. And I know it because I've done it. There is no worse feeling in the world to know what God says and you go back into your sin and then you're sitting there with guilt and misery. Lord, I can't believe this. There's nothing worse than that. But you see, God removes those things from us because he doesn't want us to live in condemnation and shame. When God builds a house, he's not gonna have rust and everything else in it. God's gonna build this thing immaculately so that the things of your past will not come back upon you. That's what God wants. So you see, uh, a house that will serve God will be obedient. But he says these people work iniquity, which meant they were living a double life. You know, look at verse 24. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. Who was that rock? It's Christ. So Jesus is speaking of house building here. He says, I will liken him unto a wise man that built his house upon a rock. But it says, who heareth the words and do them. So you see, when you hear, hearing is an action word in the Bible. Believing is an action word. It means I believe, so I do. We won't do anything that we don't believe. And that includes building this house. That's important for us to understand. So he says, um, who built his house upon a rock, he's a wise man. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. So when we put our rest and our hope in Christ and we do the will of Christ, this house will stand no matter what goes on in your life. Why? Because Jesus doesn't fall under pressure. Look at verse 26. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. So you see, God tells us how to live because he wants us to be able to stand. But if we don't do them, then what good are they to us? A lot of people like to read the Bible, but won't do what the Bible says. What benefit is that to you? It's just another storybook that you enjoy reading. But when this word becomes alive in your life, and you begin to be walk as the living word, like Jesus is in you, then you're going to stand under all pressure. 
So he says um, in verse 27, and the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon the house and it fell and great was the fall of it. So you see, this is why we need to get more built up in Jesus, you know? And this is why if unless we tap into Jesus, we're not gonna be a strong house. We gotta start, some of us have gotta start from square one. You know, the Lord had to bring me back to square one this is what we need to do. We need to develop more of a prayer life. You need to start fasting more and stop playing games. You need to do certain things that I want you to do so that this house can be built up. But some of us feel like, no, I already know that. I know that. No, let the Lord erase the chalkboard and start from the beginning. If you know that, because there's something wrong with our salvation. So he wants to work on us to make us right. You've got to let the Lord dig deep into the foundations of your home and build you up. One more thing and I quit, I promise. One more thing, let's go to Luke 14. Luke chapter 14. But you know, this thing is not hard. It's just all about giving the Lord time, letting the Lord work, reading a few scriptures a day, spending time with him, and it, and it pays to spend time with other believers. Don't hang around unbelievers, man, when you're trying to get this thing right in Christ, because I can even feel the pressure when I'm at work sometimes, and I'm around people that are like filthy and sinning and doing all this stuff, and I gotta sit there and listen to their curse and their unclean talk, and times I gotta tell them, hey man, you need to take that somewhere else. You know, I don't have time for this, or when it comes lunchtime, I separate myself from the company of you know a lot of these people because I need to get back on track. So what do I put on? Maybe a gospel song, gospel message, whatever, get into the word, because you've now got to get rid of those thoughts that the enemy tried to put in. So if we walk in the spirit, we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Okay, so I wanna look at um, verse 16. So this is Luke 14, and let's look at verse 16. And then said he unto him, this is Jesus talking, a certain man made a great supper and bade many and sent his servant at upper time, I mean, at supper time, man, I must be getting tired, at supper time to say to them that were bidden, come for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. So, you know, when we preach the gospel, because this is what Jesus is talking about, we preach the gospel that people may be partaker of the marriage supper that God wants us to be a part of in the end. So when we tell people about Christ, it's only that they may know him and do what he says. But it says in verse 18 that they all began with one consent to make excuse. The first one said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground and uh, must needs go and see it. I pray thee have me excused. So there are a lot of people we try and talk to about Christ, but they always got something going on. Verse 19, another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to prove them. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and shoot his Lord these things. Then the master of the house being angry said to his servant, go out quickly into the streets uh, uh, streets and lanes of the city and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. So God is saying, okay, for those who won't go, 
that I'm not going to even bother with them right now. Go and get the lame, the maimed, the halt, the blind, people that have given up on this life, people that are broken, people that are hurt. You know, these are the people that God wants to come in. Verse 22 says, and the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. And the Lord said unto the servant, go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. For I say unto you that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. So he made clear those that he invited to come, they didn't want him. He says, you know what? I'm going to go and get those people that really want this, that really want to learn and, and, and that need this. And he says, those who came before that were just too busy, too married, too this and that, said, don't worry about them. So look at verse 26, oh, verse 25. And there went great multitudes with him. And he turned and said unto them, if any man come to me and hate not his father and his mother and his wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. So does this mean Jesus says to hate them? No, Jesus is saying, if we can't take being hated by some of our family members for coming to Christ, then hey, you can't be a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's what this whole thing is about. You know that he's love, he's not preaching hate, but he's saying, if you can't put, if you put any of these things before me, then you can't be my disciple because you'll be following me and I'll start building you up up into the place someone tells you, you know, I don't like that you're serving Jesus. And what will we do? All right, I guess I won't say things to offend you. I won't be around. I won't preach the gospel. What happens? The building of your house stops. So you see these things, he says, unless we can't take being hated by mother, father, sister, brother, those who will hate you, if you can't stand up to that criticism, your house is going to fall down. But if we can stand up to it and stay with Christ, then we can be a disciple. All right. So he just made that point. And he says, and whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. But which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first and counteth the cause, whether he has sufficient to finish it? See, so it's not about how you start, it's how you finish. But he's asking us a question. If we're going to follow Jesus, are we counting the cost? There's a cost for this. There's a price to pay for following Jesus. Jesus don't want it to be hard for you, but he knows that it's going to be hard. There are going to be people that are not going to believe this. There are friends that are going to betray you. There are jobs that might even let you go for this. But he says to count the cost, to see if you have sufficient enough in it to finish building this house. We've got to all ask ourselves that. Are we willing to count the cost? But if we really want Christ, we will finish this house and we will let God build it because when God builds it, it doesn't fall, okay? So let's just pay attention to that. Last two uh, verses of the night, he says, lest happily after ye have laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying this man began to build and was not able to finish. I've seen this happen to Christians in so many cases where they start out believing Christ, they cave to pressure, and then people will say, well, look at you, I thought you were a Christian. See, you weren't that serious. So this is why we've got to let the Lord build us up, get us strong, that we won't, one, labor in vain, 
And two, we understand what we're getting ourselves into because God is building this house that it may glorify him, that we may reach others, that he may glorify them, that we may all live with Christ. But unless we give the will to Jesus, the ministries to Jesus, our lives to Jesus, then we are laboring in vain. But if we give it to Christ, he's going to build it up nice and strong, that it will stand up against the criticisms. It'll stand up against the families and things departing. God wants us to be strong. But the only way we're going to be strong is not in ourselves, but if we give it to him and believe him, he always will finish the work that he has set forth to do. So I just want to tell people with that, I love you. This is all about building the spiritual house. Unless God builds it, you labor in vain. So Sarah's going to present something real quick, and then we're going to um, we're going to conclude from there in prayer. But hopefully people have got some understanding about the Lord building the house. So I'm just going to read here a psalm that the Lord gave me earlier today. It's called Lead Me Home. Guide my footsteps and take my hand. Lead me in the way, Lord, of your perfect plan. The road may not be smooth, bumps in along the way. Leaning on your strength, Lord, learning day by day. There are times in my life that I must confess that I allow the devil to bring too much stress. But when the Lord is there, you hear his voice. Again, Lord, take me by the hand and lead me home. We wander and we ponder with fear and doubt, yelling on the inside when we don't, do not see a way out. There are times when we have let the world control our minds, forgetting the peace that only in Jesus Christ we find. Then one day we are compassed about with the warmth of his joy. Again, Lord, take me by the hand and lead me home. Then on the day when we have matured in his love, setting our affections not in this world, but on things above. We look only to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, walking only in him as he now lead, is leading the way. We walk on into glory, standing at his throne, saying, thank you, Jesus, for leading me home. Amen. That's awesome. You know, the Lord has given Sarah, you know, um, a gift of writing psalms. So that was really fitting for what we were talking about. Yeah. You know, so Sarah's really into that. And I pray that the Lord pours on that, but he gave us all gifts. And, and, you know, hopefully the Lord is going to expose what these gifts are so that we know what our purpose is and where to walk. Some of us are teachers, some of us are singers, some of us are evangelists, you know, whatever the, the thing is that God wants to do, he will bring it to pass. But for things to grow, they've got to be in the right atmosphere to have the right conditions which is the Holy Ghost of God, okay? Mm -hmm. So let's go out in prayer. Um, who's praying tonight? Anybody? I'll pray. You sure? Yeah. You want to pray? Yeah, go ahead, yeah. sir. All right. Thank you, Jesus. Heavenly Father, I want to come to you this day in Jesus' name. Yes, Lord. And I want to say thank you, Lord God, for this day that you've given to us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus Christ, God Almighty, for this time that you've given us to where we can come before you, Lord Jesus Christ, and learn about your word, Lord, to learn about you, Lord God, the only one that can build this house and make it strong on you, Jesus Christ, the rock of yes, our Lord. salvation, the rock of our foundation, Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. And I thank you, Lord God, for the message that was brought forth today and that everyone that listened in, Lord Jesus Christ, that we take a good look at ourselves on the inside to see if we truly have you in our life, Lord God. Yes, Lord. Because I know that there are times, Lord Jesus Christ, we do let the world take over, Lord. We let that stress and we let what Satan says 
uh, control our lives, Lord. But if we truly have you on the inside, we feel the anguish, Lord. We feel the tear of not spending time with you, Lord, of not growing in you, Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray, Lord God, from this moment forward, that's exactly what we will do. We will get filled with your Holy Ghost power, Lord Jesus, and then we will have a true understanding of what it takes to have that relationship with you because it's not about a bunch of religious works, Lord. Yes, it is Lord. a relationship, Lord, that has to grow. You plant the seeds in our life, Lord Jesus Christ, that we will grow in you, Lord. Yes, Lord. In your brokenness, Lord Jesus Christ. It is not to hurt us, but it is to heal us, Lord Jesus Christ. It is to help us. It is to set us back on the path of righteousness, Lord Jesus, that we can have your love just an outpouring stream yes, to this world, Lord Jesus Christ. And we will go out there and we will show the world what your love is all about, what your truth is all about, Lord yes, Jesus Lord. Christ. And if we seem crazy to the world, so what? Because yes, one day, Lord God, we're going to stand before you, the King of glory. The yes, great I am. And we're going to have to give an account for every single thing that we said or did in this life, Lord Jesus. And I pray, Lord God, let that ring in us every single day, Lord. Yes, Lord. But also let it ring in us the things that you've done for us and what you've taken us from, Lord Jesus Christ. The things in this life that we thought were fun, that were actually killing us, Lord. I yes, know what Lord. you did for me in my life, and I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, God Almighty, because I am not worthy to be in your presence. And your love, Lord Jesus Christ, your omnipotent love chose me, Jesus. It took me out of the muck and the mire and the dirt and the ditch that I was digging myself in, Lord. I was on my way to hell. So thank you, Jesus Christ, for your redemption. Thank you, Lord God, for dying on the cross for our sin 2,000 years ago because you were the only one in perfection. Thank you, Jesus Christ, for showing us the way of how to live, to how to live for you, Lord God. I pray for this ministry that it be established upon your kingdom. And I yes, pray for every other ministry that's out there tonight, Lord Jesus Christ, in other countries and other parts of the world that are suffering the persecution, that you give them the strength and the courage to go forward, that they not give up, that they not give in, but seek you, Jesus Christ, because you are the goal. Yes, Thank Lord. you, God. Thank you, Lord, for everything that you've done. In Jesus Christ, you're most holy name, my friend. In praise. Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, so that's going to wrap it up for tonight. I'm um, Minister Derek Hallett of Sound the Trumpet Ministries, soundthetrumpetministries.com. And until next time, see you.